Welcome to the podcast by Kevin MD, brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience. With a growing physician shortage, increasing burnout, and declining patient satisfaction, a dramatic change is needed to make healthcare more efficient and effective and bring back the joy of practicing medicine. AI driven ambient clinical intelligence promises to help by revolutionizing patient and provider experiences with clinical documentation that writes itself. The Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short, is a voice-enabled ambient clinical intelligence solution that automatically captures patient encounters securely and accurately at the point of care. Physicians who use DAX have reported a 50% decrease in documentation time and 70% reduction in feelings of burnout. And 83% of patients say their physician is more personable and conversational. Rediscover the joy of medicine with clinical documentation that writes itself, all within the EHR. Visit nuance.com slash DAX in action. That's nuance.com slash D-A-X-I-N-A-C-T-I-O-N to learn more. And now, on to the show. From Kevin MD, I'm Dr. Kevin Poe, and this is the podcast by Kevin MD. Welcome to the podcast by Kevin MD, the only daily medical podcast where we share the stories of the many who intersect with our healthcare system but are rarely heard from. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Poe. Hi, and welcome to the show. Rate and review at kevinmd.com slash rate. Subscribe at kevinmd.com slash podcast. Today in the show, we have Paula Muto. She's a vascular surgeon, and we're going to talk about her Kevin MD article, Building Individual Health Equity. Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin, and thanks for having me. So we'll get into your article in a little bit, but first off, briefly share your story and journey to where you are today. My story. So I'm a surgeon. I am the daughter of a surgeon, a great thoracic surgeon. I am married to a surgeon. I have a brother who's a surgeon and two uncles, all in Massachusetts for a collective century. So you kind of get the picture that it's in my blood. And so I've been a solo private practice surgeon pretty much all of my professional life. And a few years ago, I decided after my second child went off to college, now what? And and didn't like the way the system was. I was always railing against it, writing angry letters to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. So I had an idea to be able to kind of disrupt the system. So I created a platform called UberDoc. Um, it basically allowed patients to get direct access to specialists without having to take many steps. And rather than increase the price, we lowered it. So we said, what did you do? You created a connection between patients and doctors that was direct, that didn't, that didn't depend on insurance, but it lowered the price. So that journey kind of put me in the last six and a half years, traveling around the country, meeting so many of my colleagues. We started with specialists. We now have a platform that includes all doctors because all doctors are specialists. Our primary care colleagues, our pediatricians, our neurosurgeons, our neurologists, everyone around the country coming to the table to be transparent with their patients. So our mission really is about price transparency and access. And a lot of this kind of came from my personal journey, taking care of patients on the front lines from a family of doctors taking care of patients from the front lines. And I always say the same thing. 
medicine isn't that complicated. You know, healthcare kind of gets in our way. And, uh, and I'm just trying to disrupt the system with a, with price transparency and access. So you went from being a private practice surgeon and now you're doing this health startup, UberDoc. So as you started this journey for the last six or so years doing UberDocs, what's something that you've learned doing that? Because starting a startup like that isn't something that most doctors are really trained in. Well, you know, it's interesting. So I still practice and I love my patients. It's important for me to practice. And luckily I've evolved my practice into, you know, an office-based practice that doesn't require any call. My poor husband takes all the call in general surgery. And so my father actually was an inventor his entire life. He worked as a great thoracic surgeon. He worked the day he died. And uh, he always invented things. And we called him crazy inventor. I guess you'd call him entrepreneur now. And he was so energized by the talent and the young people that he was always encountering. Now, I teach residents in family practice. I also have residents now in surgery, and I love young people. Embarking on this project to build a platform and the agile method and create a technology was fascinating to me. I loved the whole concept. I learned so much. And then you enter into this ecosystem of other physician innovators, and you become this, it opens your eyes to where healthcare really has been and where it's going. And it gives you this amazing perspective. And I have to say, it's just been so educating and eye-opening for me. And I bring that right back to my patients every day. So this is so I have to say that when people become an entrepreneur, it's almost like I didn't, it almost like it happened to me as opposed to someone saying, I'm going to go get an MBA and find a place to work. For me, it was the opposite. It just sort of was like something inside me that I needed to get out. And then as soon as I started to talk to my colleagues and talk to my patients, I realized I can do this and this is important. Now for those other budding physician entrepreneurs who are out there, what's the single biggest piece of advice that you could share with them? Be patient. Medicine is much more, especially surgery. I diagnose you. I have to take out your gallbladder. I take it out. We're done. I, I make a diagnosis on your leg and I can I can fix that. Business isn't like that. Business has its own cadence. And oftentimes you have to put things out there and it's not quite scientific, right? Because there are a lot of things that come into play. You can't control multiple variables. And as a control freak science person, like most of us are in medicine, you have to learn to go with the flow and look at things from different angles. So, So I think that is one thing. I thought when I built the platform, we're done, right? It's like, no, that's just this first step. All right. So your Kevin MD article is titled Building Individual Health Equity. How did this article come about? So over the past few years, I've written a lot and thought a lot, and I've had the privilege of speaking with lots of really smart people, including people like yourself, right, who have really thought about healthcare because it's a it doesn't work, right? We're always looking for an answer. What's wrong? And there's a multitude of factors of what's wrong. But fundamentally, what it comes down to, and I feel, is that we need to change the way we think about our patient-doctor relationship. We that we talk about the erosion of the physician-doctor relationship, and we've kind of let that happen because of circumstance. You know, you need to have lots of people, you have high volume, you have to have all these things in between. But technology kind of brought us full circle, and technology allowed doctor and patient to get back together again. What I think of my own practice, I used to operate on things now I do in my office. I don't even do operations on patients' carotids because we manage them medically. You know, we're moving into life-threatening, limb-threatening conditions to lifestyle-limiting conditions because of age. And that shift in medicine has not been accounted for in our system. 
So because of that, people own their health care, right? They own their health. And we have forgotten about that. We, we were this paternalistic model. The doctor knows what's best for you. And we're going to fix your problem. Diagnose it, fix it. That's not what it is. When I operate on a patient now, they, they don't stay in the hospital for seven days, right? They don't stay there until everything works great. They go home that afternoon. So if they live in a six floor walk up or live, you know, live with a, with an assisted living with people around them, those outcomes are going to be very different. And we don't focus on any of those outcomes. So my concept of individual health equity came about thinking about when you rent an apartment versus buying a home. You know, when you think about health insurance, we keep paying a premium, paying yeah. a premium. It's like renting an apartment. And now the landlord is making you pay for electricity, pay for utilities, pay for snow removal, pay for everything. Yeah. Because we put into a system, we don't feel like we're getting anything out of it. Because you have these high deductibles, co-insurances, co-pays, and restrictions. You can't bring your pet, right? You can't do this. You can't do that. When we buy a home, we lose money, right? Every month we pay into something. But at the end, we know we're going to have something of value. We're going to bring that and it's going to invest in our future. And I feel like that's what we have to think about healthcare. When we invest in our healthcare, if we could build individual health equity, if individual patients could take some of that premium and put it away in a health savings account, because they're not sick now, but you know, their father had like a severe illness that they may be inheriting. They're, they're going to have some money aside to, to manage that care. And I think that the concept of managing care should be the patient. It shouldn't be a third party. And the patient and the doctor's relationship has evolved too. We're not a hierarchical, we're going to tell you what to do. We collaborate with our patients. We make decisions jointly. They come into the office having seen surgery on YouTube or Dr. Pimple Popper, yeah. right? So they know they're informed and there's very good validated data out there from your life depends on it. That wonderful book by Talia Miron Shiraz, who's done validated research on how patients make decisions. And it has nothing to do with healthcare literacy. It has to do with being a human and reacting. So I kind of feel like with technology, the way it is, with our shift toward lifestyle limiting medicine, and and with all of our screening and our precision medicine, that we need, we've come full circle and the patient and doctor are together and beginning to invest in individual health equity, that concept that some of that money needs to be repurposed and not given to a third party, but back into the patient's hands, not necessarily given to the doctor, but to the patient and let the patient spend that healthcare dollar and invest in their personal health. So give us an example of this in action in terms of patients, health savings account, building individual health equity. Give us an example of something like that in your world. So, so if you think of people who have you know, health savings accounts, right now they're limited to a high deductible plan, which I believe is like $1,400, not that sure. high. And you have an amount that you can put in and it's tax deferred. When you hit like 65, you're not allowed to put it in anymore, which is kind of funny. But so, so in my world, I'm thinking like, you know, you have that health savings account, you go to your primary care and you pay cash for that. You go to your, maybe your eye doctor and you pay out of that for that. And then at the end, you've utilized less. So when you're employed, utilization dictates your premium. So literally, your premium should come down and for an entire organization if they are encouraging people to do this. But I think of it bigger. Why shouldn't a Medicare patient who doesn't utilize, who pays their primary out of pocket, why shouldn't they get that back in a federally funded HSA? And then the next year, it, they can use it again and then use it again, because that will decrease utilization at the Medicare level and give 
more autonomy to the individual patient and also provide income to the primary care, who right now is pretty much cut out of the equation. So I kind of feel like shifting the healthcare dollar into the patient's hands means that they will pay out of pocket for all the small stuff. Then when you go to the hospital, it should be 100% covered. There shouldn't be any question. So this is how, like, when you look at other countries, this is how medicine works. You know, national healthcare plans that are successful, it's the big stuff they pay for. The small stuff is always out of pocket. But right now in our country, we pay a lot anyways, and we don't get any of that back. So I just want to take some of that and repurpose it to the patient to for their social determinants of health to, you know, to help those families when your spouse has to take off work to take care of you after your knee replacement. Now, in our current economic climate, as you know, inflation is rising and a lot of patients are dealing just with higher prices, so many other financial pressures. Do you find that patients have the discipline to do those health savings accounts? I think they will when the doctors come to the table with price transparency. I think that the fear is you don't know the price, right? And so they buy the insurance because they, and they maybe even pay extra for like the PPO, right? They're literally paying five to $10 a week and per hour out of their paycheck, right? That's what health insurance is. It's an extra $5 at minimum. So I'm saying is like, why spend that $5? Take two of that dollars away, right? I mean, you don't need to spend all of that because it's not that expensive to come to me or to come to you or to, you know, there's so many other options, but we have to meet the patients halfway with price transparency. That is a federal law. It is not always being complied with, but the direct pay option is becoming more and more important. And I'll tell you, I looked at my books recently. I'm a average doctor. I have an average payer mix, right? Like everyone else, Blue Cross, Medicare, commercial insurances, Medicaid, and our small in Massachusetts, everyone has insurance. So there isn't anybody that's uncovered. The second biggest payment to my office right now is the patient. An insured Blue Cross patient, an insured patient who has a co-insurance, co-deductible, is now responsible for more of my, my you know, collections than my Medicare patients. This is astounding. If I'm the average doctor, this has to occur everywhere. So we've made a huge shift toward patient responsibility already. So we need to make it easier for those patients and now be transparent. Now, give us a sense of how difficult is it for patients to find that price transparency. <laughs> if a patient wanted to, say, look up the price for a specific procedure or a certain imaging test, how easy or difficult is it for them right now? It's nearly impossible. However, that's one of the things that we're doing with UberDoc is that in our technology, there's a, that we're combining this CPT code crusher through Crush Medical Debt that's going to be accessible through our, through our platform so patients can find at least the Medicare allowable, right? At least that estimate of what their procedure is going to cost. Otherwise, it is very hard to navigate it. But the doctors can solve this problem. We, when we went to our doctors with UberDoc, we say, okay, would you take a patient for cash? And it's going to be a little less than insurance but they're going to pay you immediately. They're like, okay, sure. So all of my doctors said, yes, we would lower the price for a patient. Not below Medicare, but we'd lower the price because it's illegal below Medicare. But a lot of my doctors didn't even know the price. Yeah. They, didn't, they have no clue. But they all agreed because at the end of the day, it's just a finite price and all of our services are finite. And so I do believe that 
when doctors come to the table with price transparency, when they will lead their institutions, the patients are first, the doctors lead the patients, the institutions will change. And what's preventing us from price transparency? Is it the insurance companies? Lack of imagination and confidence. I think that they're so embroiled in a system that has so many layers to it. And there's a lot of cottage industry based around the complexity that it's just like, how many people does it take to screw in a light bulb, right? I mean, honestly, would you not want to take cash? You know, the concept of just, you get paid immediately, you you know, you deliver someone's baby, they give you a goat, it's done versus bill, collect, revenue cycle, chase. That is all money that's spent to get money. So at the end of the day, why have all this in between? We can simplify this marketplace and technology allows us to do that. So tell me some of the obstacles that that's preventing you to scale. I could only imagine that, like you said, there's a lot of inertia, there's a lot of bureaucracy, there are a lot of forces that are frankly against the system that you're describing. So tell us how to get from where we are now to where you want to be. So on the doctor side, it's wonderful. Doctors out there, listen, give me a seat in your waiting room. I don't care if you're working at like Mass General or you're working in rural Mississippi, everyone can give me a seat in their waiting room for a direct pay patient because that's the right thing to do. And it's a smart thing to do. So that's the first thing. We're ticket master for direct pay. On the patient side, you know, where do you start? You, well, you can take out billboards and TV commercials and Google and all that, but that's super expensive stuff. So we started to have conversations. Actually, the state of Massachusetts came to us first, said, hey, wow, this is really simple. We need access to specialists. Can we use your platform? We're like, sure. Employers came to us and said, hey, we're medical cost share groups. We're you know, medical ministries, self-funded plans, people that want access to specialists and physicians who are have a transparent price. So, so we started partnering with them. And now we're going to employers and saying, hey, this is a smart idea. Plug this into your health plan and let people start to not use that insurance card. Wean people off the addiction to their insurance card and pay for stuff out of pocket because there's a benefit to them. They're going to save money. They're going to get faster care, better care, and higher value. So the obstacles are the system itself, the cottage industry built around the, I won't say the profit, but the it is the profit and the middleman in the system. And it's very hard sometimes when you're in a system to understand this. So you can literally go to a business and say, would you like to take this? Re-? If you go to a restaurant and say, this person's going to pay credit card, this one's going to pay cash. Who, who, of course, you're going to take the cash patient because you have that in your cash register. But there are people who actually say, oh, but wait a minute, wait a minute, stop. I need to take your insurance card. Like, But that's a processing fee. That's time. That's like a delayed revenue cycle. But again, it's lack of imagination on that side. But our obstacles really come on the just getting the word out to patients. And it isn't so much as an obstacle as just getting the word out and getting people to participate. We're talking to Paula Muto. She's a vascular surgeon. And her Kevin MD article, which we're talking about today, is titled Building Individual Health Equity. Paula, what are some of your take-home messages that you want to leave with the Kevin MD audience? So I love medicine. It's my family business. And I love my colleagues. I'm sad that many of us are really stressed right now and feel like they don't have independence. They don't have autonomy. I built UberDoc for my colleagues. I mean, it doesn't even cost a doctor anything to join UberDoc. That's how frictionless I wanted to make this. I want them to have confidence that they can be in front of the patient, that they can use modern technology, they can use the internet, they can absolutely be front and center, and that they need to shift in that direction, and that it's okay, there's no risk to it. 
because ultimately the patients will always follow them because they are super well-trained. They're gifted by their education and they're gifted by the experience of taking care of patients and patients know that. And I think that I want to give my colleagues that confidence that they can in fact do this and they don't have to give up too soon. Paula, thank you so much for sharing your time and insight. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the podcast by Kevin MD. To share your story and appear on the show, visit kevinmd.com.